Once again, I want to welcome you to Last Spring Bible Church. It's summertime. I don't have to tell you. There's a lot of things you can do out there. You can go play in the smoke. <laughs> I also want to welcome the people that are listening by podcast because every time I get up here now, I hear from somebody during the week that listened to the sermon here, and it, it, it's humbling to me. So it isn't like I should just sit here and go, Hi, Mom. Mom's not the only one listening, you know, uh, even though, Hi, Mom, <laughs> is appropriate because Mom watches, right? So it's humbling, but it's a, it's a good thing. So for those that are listening by podcast, our prayer extends to you. It's recorded so you can hear it. Our desire is that the Word of God changes our lives. Amen? You know I like getting down here with you because I can look you in the eye, right? If you start weaving and bobbing, I can... You know, when I was a preacher in my 20s, things... I, I, my prayer is that it's gotten interesting, all right? That our presentation of the Word is interesting. When I was younger, it wasn't. When I was in my 20s, a little kid went to sleep. Don't wake your brother up. I knew him. Wake your brother up. He said, you put him to sleep, you wake him up. <laughs> I looked at him, I said, you know, that's very funny, but we shall talk after the service. <laughs> it was good, though. You got to give it to him, you know, for a little kid, right? Turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Kings chapter 7. While you're turning to 2 Kings chapter 7, we're going to start reading at verse 3. I think I've got it here in the King James Version. It doesn't change all that much. I don't bounce back and forth this week between King James Version and the English Standard Version. Whenever I read the Bible through, I don't know how many times in my life I've read First and Second Kings through, but we're tempted in our flesh to open up the Bible and go to First and Second Kings, and we think we're going to read all of these great stories about majestic kings, you know, that, that's not what First and Second Kings is all about. There's all kinds of people in both of those books. Yes, there are events. And there are good kings talked about, and there are bad kings talked about. And we're going to learn a little bit about one of them today. The title of this message is The Story of Four Lepers. That's why I mentioned Wendell Shaw to you earlier. He said, I started my church with four people. I wanted to say, if I could see him today, I'd say, Wendell, at least they weren't lepers, you know. This little congregation is made up of four guys, and they all had leprosy. Matter of fact, they had such advanced leprosy that they were dying from leprosy. But what do we have in common with these four men? Let me just, before I even read the Scripture, what is the main thing we have in common with these four men? We're all going to die. Unless Jesus comes back and takes us in the rapture of the church, we're going to die just like th those guys were on their way to an appointment with death, and so are we. Doesn't matter that the little congregation was four guys with leprosy. It's no different than any other four-person congregation out there. Amen? Now watch this with me. The story of the four lepers is found in 2 Kings, but we're going to start ahead of them. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3. Um, we're, we're going to bounce back and forth between, by the way, so you know, 2 Kings chapter 7 and 2 Kings chapter 6. That's why I said we're going we're gonna to bounce around a little bit. There were four leprous men at the entering end of the gate, and they said one to another, 
Why set we here until we die? I debated between the, the title of the sermon being the story of the four lepers and making it, Why set we here until we die? Doing nothing but dying. That was it. That's all that was on the agenda for these guys. That's it. Why set we here until we die? If we say... We will enter into the city. Then famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die here. Now, therefore, here's a bright idea. Now, therefore, come, let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. And they rose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians, and when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their donkeys. I'd rather say donkey. Nowadays, if you say they left their asses, you might think something entirely different, right? So I say donkeys. Even the camp as it was and fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it then they said one to another it, it dawned on them that if they keep doing this things may not go well for them right if if we keep doing this and nobody else knows we may get in trouble right then they said one to another we do not well this day is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace if we tarry Till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. So they came and called unto the porter of the city, and they told him, saying, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there, neither voice of man, but horses tied, and donkeys tied, and the tents as they were. And, and he called the porters, and they told it to the king's house within." Now, this is part of, the, this is part, uh, the central part of the story that comprises the message this morning, what I just read to you. There's going to be other portions we'll pick up. But. Like I said earlier, when I pick up the Bible and I turn to the book of Kings and I read about four lepers, it's different than the title of the book. Have you ever read the, the title of the book and looked in the book and it seems like one doesn't have anything to do with the other? <laughs> you know, I took you to 2 Kings. I start reading and the first words out of the mouth in chapter 3 that we, we start reading is about the congregation of four lepers. That's what I call them, the congregation of four lepers. They're dying. The thing they have in common with us, we're all dying. We're all heading to an appointment with death. Sometimes I wonder then why we get so freaked out about it. We, we know where we're going, right? If you don't know where you're going, we can fix that before we leave the room today. Amen? It, it's not that difficult to get on the path. After that, you made a little help staying on it. Because you find out you're not good path walkers without him. Amen? All right. So, I thought when I picked up the Bible and looked at the title of, of First and Second Kings, 
that it would speak of kings consistently, that I would read of the great and mighty, the magnificent, and the illustrious. That's not what happens in First and Second Kings. Therefore, when I turn the page of the book and find that so much of it is given to the poor and the distressed and the despairing, I'm amazed at the choice of God when he writes down what he inspires the prophet and the apostle to speak of in the books throughout the Bible. Did you know that if we were to take out of the Bible all of the stories of poverty, stricken people, and the brokenhearted, you'd have hardly anything left? Think about that now with me a minute. The Bible does not ignore life in this planet. The Bible doesn't do it. Sometimes we're guilty of it, but the Bible never will be. The Psalms speak of the poor, the promises to the despairing and the grief-stricken, and the stories of God's humble and poor in the earth. They comprise major portions of the Word of God. The story of Joseph as he sold into slavery in Genesis chapter 37, verses 26 through 31. The story of the little baby Moses exposed on the river of the Nile. They were trying to hide him, but they were afraid he was going to die. They didn't have a lot of hope when they set that baby boy to float on that river. The story of Job sitting in ashes, crying in agony for the afflictions of God had, been, had sent. The afflictions God, the Bible said, had sent upon him. In Job 2.8, chapter 3, verses 1 through 26. The story of two widows, widows who came back homeless and helpless gathering sheaves Handfuls left for the poor in the fields of Boaz, Ruth, chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. The story of the widow whose son was sold for the debts of her deceased husband was in 2 Kings, chapter 4, verse 2. I haven't even began to mention how much of the Bible tells the story of the poor in distress, those who despair before God, and this story is one of them. It's no different than a whole lot of stories throughout the Bible, only some of the circumstances were exponentially worse. Now, 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3, talks about these four lepers. So it came about like this. The king of Israel is Jehoram. He's the brother of Azariah, who died childless, and both of them, the sons of Ahab and Jezebel. Does that tell you? A lot right there. If you know about Jezebel, you know that his upbringing was a little askew. <laughs> That's how we'll say it. The man's upbringing was messed up. Amen? So when we go to 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24, actually in the 24th verse of chapter 6 in 2 Kings, we're introduced again to Ben-Hadad II, the king of Syria. Now, that guy was bad news. And he brought with him to the nation of Israel an army of 100,000 soldiers. And not only did he bring an army of 100,000 soldiers with him, they brought their stuff with them for the long term. They intended to starve their enemy to death. They were going to park outside of one of the cities 
set up their tents. They had brought gold with them, silver with them, food with them, everything they would need, even if they had to sit there and wait a year for those people to die, they'd have done it. They weren't going to have to lift a finger, just keep them hemmed in. That's all they had to do. And how bad did things get? Well, let's look and see. They brought an army with them, and they shut up Samaria in an iron band. And the famine is so indescribably terrible in the city that in the 25th and following verses, these things are told. Listen carefully. So tragic is the starvation of the people as they are shut up by the great army of Ben-Hadad that a donkey's head, a dead donkey's head, sold for four score pieces of silver. Now, I haven't eaten any donkey lately, but if someone were to set a plate of donkey in front of me, donkey meat, I don't know if a head would be the first thing I'd choose and you want to carve out, you know what I'm saying? But if a donkey died and they cut the head off and it's worth that much silver because they're starving to death, don't say you won't eat a certain thing. Don't say it. Don't say you won't eat something because one day you might have to eat it. Amen? To stay alive. That's where these people were. And the fourth part, listen to this. And the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung was sold for five pieces of silver. They were eating bird dung. They, uh, they weren't using it for fertilizer in the garden. There was nothing in the garden to fertilize. They're selling bird, dove, dung, trying to stay alive. Now, we've never, we've never known that in our lifetime, right? We've never known that. Kind of makes uh, my brother's very good friends with Dave Ramsey. I don't mean to drop names, but he asked me one time, would you like to meet Dave? You know, come to dinner, sit down. I said, no way. Dave would chew me up and spit me out. I do things, you know, with a lot of his principles, but I don't do them all, and he would be angry with me. <laughs> Dave, would, you ever met Dave Ramsey or heard of him on the radio? He's a, a financial advisor. Anyway, I don't know how I got off on all that. But anyway, uh, then you have the story of the woman who cries into the king as he passes by on the wall, looking out over the vast hosts of Syria. And the woman says, O oh Lord, my king, help. And the king replies, If God does not help you, how could I? That's 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 26 and 27. And she says, This woman by my side has a little son, and I have a little son. And in our distress, we agreed that one day we would boil my son and eat him, and then the next day we would boil her son and eat him. And we boiled my son and we ate him. It's in the Bible, all right? And the next day, when we were to boil her son, she hid her son. And when the king heard of the cannibalism of his people, eating their own flesh and blood, he rent his clothes. And he said, now listen, at that point, when you hear news that bad, what's it time to do? You, you've waited way too late, but you can still call out to God, right? You can still call out to God. And when the king heard of the cannibalism of his people eating their own flesh and blood, he rent his clothes, and he said, God do so and more also to me if the head of Elisha stands on him this day. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 30 and verse 31. 
all of a sudden, this guy gets a brain flash and it's all Elijah's fault. If I can kill Elijah, all this will stop, you know. If I can kill the pastor, <laughs> if I can kill the man of God, I meant to say the man of God. <laughs> that was a slip. It was a slip. I didn't mean it. <laughs> Instead of making this man's focus keener on what he really needed to do, it got worse. This, this is the man of God's fault. If we can find him and kill him, all this will change. No. No. So he says, God do so and more also to me if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shall stand on him this day. 2 Kings 6, 31. So he sends to Elisha, and Elisha says to his counselors around him, you keep the door closed. Do not let his messenger come in because this son of a murderer is behind him fast on his heels. 2 Kings 6, 32. Listen to this. So the king Jehoram himself comes and stands before Elisha, and Elisha says this out of the clear blue. The man of God has a different take on the situation. Watch. By this time tomorrow, there shall be a measure of fine flour, three gallons sold for a few cents. A few pennies. Now, these people have been starving to death for a long time. But Elisha, the man of God, he has a word from the Lord. He says, by this time tomorrow, there shall be a measure of fine flour, three gallons sold for a few cents. And there shall be two measures of barley, six gallons of barley sold for the same amount, a few cents. Keep in mind, these people have been starving for a long time. Why? It's the most unbelievable promise it was the most astounding message that a mind could imagine. There they were, starving to death, eating doves' dung, boiling one another's children, entering into cannibalism, so terrible and stark the famine that when Elisha said such a thing as that, it was greeted with open ridicule. Second Kings chapter 7, verse 2. And the Lord, on whose hand the king leaned, answered and said, why, if God were to open the windows of heaven and if God were to start manufacturing barley and wheat up there and if God were to pour out upon us his manufactured product, what shall that thing be? And they openly ridiculed the delivered message of God's prophet Elisha. Isn't that kind of amazing? You know, I've told the story many times and it still wraps itself around my heart and won't let go being a young man and telling my wife, well, you know, there's no food in the house, but when you get home at 5 o'clock, there's going to be food. You've heard me tell the story. Now, if I had been smart, and I wasn't, by 4.30 in the afternoon, I'm 30 minutes away from my wife coming home, and guess what? There was no food still, and there was no money. I had no food in the house and no means by which to get it unless I stole it. That thought didn't cross my mind, but the thought did cross my mind to get angry with God. And I know I'm the only one in the room that's ever been there. I'm the only one that's ever been upset with God, right? But I'm sitting at the dining room table, and I'm shouting at him. I'm angry. I'm about to face a little blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl with a baby in her arms and one inside of her. She's pregnant with Leah. And there is no food 
in the house. What I should have done was set the table. Not waste my time railing against Father. Because as I've told you, someone knocked on my door. Someone I've never met in my life, to my knowledge. And he said, I don't want to upset you, and I'm not trying to embarrass you, and I hope you won't be angry with me. But I am a regional manager for Little Admiral Food Stores. And God told me this morning when I passed by, it was 10 hours earlier in the day. God had already met the need. God had already taken care of it. And I was worked up because it wasn't on my schedule. He did not do it the way I expected him to do it. Are you hearing me? Now, what do you think I said to that guy? Yeah, dude, we're, we're too proud for this. Get back in your car, take those sacks of grocery, and head on down the road with them. No. I said, brother, you're not going to believe this. I said to him, I lied through my teeth. I said, me and God were just having a discussion about this. No, <laughs> no, we weren't. It was all one-sided, and I was telling him how the cow ate the cabbage, and we had nothing. You understand what I'm saying? And I'm the only one who's ever done that, right? I will tell on myself every day of the week and twice on Sunday if it'll get the truth across to you that you need to set the table. You need to set the table. And if God doesn't bring food for that meal, it's time to fast and pray. You just need to listen to the cues, right? God's plan is better than your plan, all right? Now watch this with me. They openly ridiculed the delivered message of God's prophet Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 2. You know, basically, I just finished the introduction to this story, but don't, don't get excited. We're not going to be here much longer. God's doing a work, though. Amen? Why? We prayed. Now, we started this story by reading 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3. There they are. These guys are outside the gate. Do you know what they've been doing there? Lepers would sit outside the gate, and people would lower garbage to them over the wall. That's how they'd survive. Guess what? The garbage became too valuable to let it down over the wall and give it to people that are dying of leprosy. The garbage became much more valuable to the people inside the wall, so they didn't give it away anymore. They were selling it inside the wall right? So there they are. They're dying, not only of the rotting of the corruption of their flesh, but they're dying of the lack of the garbage. And we complain if we get a meal set in front of us that we don't like. But they're dying of a lack of garbage that day by day was let down to them over the wall. Those miserable wretches, that leprous congregation of four wretched men. Now remember this. Listen to me. You've got to hear this because this is Bible. Not my words over my testimony is good. Amen. It happened to me and I can testify about it, but Bible's better. God's word is better, right? Watch this. 
Here's what I wrote. I just started pinning these notes. When God said something, God does something. God says and God does. All right? When God makes a promise, God immediately begins to work to bring it to pass. Now, think about this. There are, there are times in the lives of men and women and mankind and through the ages, there were promises made by God that took a lifetime and even generations for him to fulfill, but he said it was going to be that way. It unfolded the way God said it was going to unfold, right? All right? Now, why is that important? We need to pay attention to what God is saying to us, and I'll tell you why. When God makes a promise, God immediately begins to work to bring it to pass. In some cases, it might not be in our lifetime. It might be in our generation, but when God says a thing, God faithfully does it. He does not forget. He does not delay. He has things that are in his purposes to do, right? And when the Lord said by his prophet Elisha, listen to what he said, this time tomorrow there shall be Six gallons of fine flour sold for just a few cents. When God said that, immediately God began to bring it to pass. Now, how? And the Lord made that host out there in the twilight. The Lord made that sieging army of Syria out there in the twilight. The Lord made those men out there in the twilight to hear a noise of onrushing horses. So, God's saying something through Elisha here and over here, he's making it happen, just outside the walls of the city. They did not understand what God was saying through Elisha. They mocked him. They said, even if God were begin to manufacture this stuff up in heaven and start to pour it out, what would it be? What would it be like? They mocked Elisha. When instead, what they could have been doing is saying, well, there's not that much food anywhere in the entire nation of Israel right now, except in that camp of our enemies. And they did not bother to send anyone to check out what God had already put into play. What God had already put into process was, all of that food and all that gold and all that silver and all of those tents and all of those horses and all those donkeys and every, all that livestock they brought with them, all of the food that the nation of Israel would need to come out of the famine they were in, the judgment they were under, was outside of the city gates right there, and it had already been abandoned. The menu had already been made by God himself when he ran a 100,000 strong army out of that camp and they left so fast that they left all that stuff behind for the children of Israel, for the hungry people that were killing their own kids to be able to survive. Once again, how many times have I told you, I don't care how good you are, the blessings that God gives you is for his glory, not yours. Did the, did the nation of Israel deserve what God just did for them? No. But did God show his mighty hand? Amen. Did God not manifest his glory for the nation that was under judgment and showed the world his mighty hand? That's what he does in you. That's what he does in me. And why? So that the unsaved 
will see it and be hungry for it. And we're the beneficiaries of the glory of God being manifest in our lives. It's not God's endorsement on your goodness. It's not God's endorsement on your greatness, your highness, your grace. No, it's for him. Now, I, I tell you, don't get mad at me for this. I already proved to you in one sermon earlier. I, I told you, I said, I'm not saying. I'm not saying that God blesses us and ministers to us and through us. I got, that's pretty music. God does not bless us <clears throat> so that we just look what God's given me now. Look, look what God's given me now. You're invited to Pastor Ruthie and Carl's home on the 4th of July. I'm telling you right now, I live in a nice house. I'll sell it yesterday morning. If God, when God says do it, it's sold. It's gone. I'm not married to that house I'm living in. You need to know that. I can't brag on nobody but Jesus for the home we're living in, and we will give it back to him. When he says today is the day, he can have it back. And he will. He will. Amen? He will. He's not opposed to blessing you. Amen? But it ain't because your pastor is so special. It's because Jesus is special. Amen? Watch this with me. And when the Lord said by his prophet Elisha, this time tomorrow there shall be six gallons of fine flour sold for just a few cents, when God said that, immediately God began to bring it to pass. And the Lord made that host out there in the twilight hear um, the sound of an army attacking them, all right? And they said to one another, the king of Israel, Jehoram, is there, in there, has hired the kings of the Hittites and the Egyptians to come against us, and let us flee for our lives. And they fled. How many of you know God doesn't need the Egyptian army? God doesn't need the kings of the Hittites. He just needed their sound. <laughs> he just made their noise. Amen. God never does need the Egyptians and the Hittites. He never needed the Egyptians to help him. He never does. He scattered the folds of Syria like a man would scatter dust, like chaff, which is driven before in the wind. There is not an enemy left, listen to me, by this time, within a short period of time, in the same afternoon that God spoke the words through Elisha, God removed, there was not an enemy left in the land and those people did not even say to themselves, well, if God says tomorrow this food will be provided, the only place where it exists right now in the entire nation is out there in the enemy camp. And if the enemy's still there, we can't likely get it, but let's go look and see. No, only a little congregation of four lepers who are on their way to death have decided Look, we can beat on the doors of the city and they can kill us. We can die there of starvation. We can die of starvation here. We can die of starvation in the city. Where the, and why did they go to the Syrian camp? Because they knew that was the only place in Israel that food existed. So they were going to go and look. And they said, if we are killed by the sentries, then it's over. You get a, you get a, a, you know, a sword through the heart and our, our famine's over. So we're dead. But if they take us prisoner, they may what? Feed us and care for us. It's a win-win for the little congregation of four lepers, right? You see where we're going with this? How dynamic this is? 
You know, I'm telling you, we should read the Bible every day with a prayer on our lips that God will show us the core message of what is written there. Now, you look at the people left behind and listen to this. You'll find out what unbelief will do to a person. What did I learn in my youth? In my youth, I learned I must trust. You ever, you, you ever notice this? There's a reason why I do this. You very seldom ever hear me refuse to him as the father. Do, do you? What do I refer to him as? Think about it for a little bit. I refer to him as father. He's my father. I know because he's fed me before. You, you hear what I'm saying? Now look at the people left behind and what unbelief will do. They sit there in the twilight, shut up like men are shut up in an iron cage, because that's what this Syrian army wanted to do to them. And they go to bed that night for fear and for stark terror, and there's not an enemy soldier in the entire nation of Israel. They had already fled to the Jordan and crossed to the other side, fleeing for their lives, and left all that food behind. People are in the city walls going to bed afraid, not knowing if they're going to die in the night by sword. They're starving to death, and just on the other side of the wall is all the food they'd ever need to destroy the famine. God had provided it according to his word through Elisha. Amen? They were starving to death. And there's the abundance for an army of 100,000 men right outside the gate. Isn't that about the most startling picture you could ever think of in your life? What amazing things unbelief will do. So the people that God is setting free sit silently on their hill. And they're frightened. They're scared. And the people go to bed that night thinking that any hour they may fall into death by the edge of the sword. They hope to sleep that they may forget the agony of the gnawing hunger pains. Amen? They're afraid when there is nobody to make them afraid. There's no one left to make them afraid. But they didn't go look. There they are starving to death and an abundance of all around them to eat. Listen to this. I got this highlighted. Because they had a famine of the faith in their hearts that matched the famine of the hunger gnawing pains in their stomachs. What an astonishing thing that unbelief will do. So the people there are literally scared to death. You would have thought that at least the king would have sent out an emissary to see if this thing that Elisha had said had come to pass, but they didn't. Nobody sees, nobody tries, nobody goes. They sit there in their terror, in their fear, and in their starvation when God has liberated them and provided provisions like he had never done before in the history of the world up to that point. Think about this with me for a minute we've we've kind of done the math and we've extrapolated out that 
Jesus Christ fed up to maybe 25,000 people with a few loaves and fishes. That, that's pretty miraculous. That, that took a number of fish and loaves that you could count, and he prayed over it, and they kept pulling it out of the basket and pulling it out. That's supernatural. Amen? This food, the only supernatural involvement was that God ran off the people that owned it. There was enough of it there. It didn't even have to be prayed over and multiplied. There they were emaciated, not only in, in the corruption of their flesh, but in the agony of their starvation, the lepers went to see. Amen? And in their desperation, they said to one another, Why set we here until we die? I should have titled the message that. Why set we here until we die? If we go into the city, the famine is there, and the gate is shut. And if we set here, we starve in agony. Let us go to the Syrians, and if they slay us, it'll be better to die one death stroke than, uh, with one death stroke than it will be to sit here in this long and lingering wretchedness. So they raise the question, and they answer it. Let us arise and go. You know, that would be a revival sermon, wouldn't it? Let us arise and go. Why sit here until we die? I remember an old song. When the crimson cross is so nearby, why will you die? When there is mercy and plenty, when there is God's love and despair, and we perish in the grave and in the night and in death and in judgment, why, why, until we die? You know, that's a pretty good question. Why sit here until we die? Oh, to be done with doing nothing I can tell you right now this is a busy little church if you don't believe me look, look at my look at my calendar when you get a chance we had a lot of things going on we did not slow down when summer came we picked up the pace because God doesn't take a vacation it vacations are fine don't don't be misunderstanding me that no no, everyone needs to get rest and recreation and relax a little bit and build up seem to come back and hit it again. Amen? But people will tell you all kinds of kind of doom and gloomy stories about summer. You know how it is? The money, you know, suffers. The people don't come and, you know, they do this and they do that. I haven't found that to be the case really at all. Not at all. God's blessing her socks off. I wrote this, there may be 50,000 ways to be lost, but there's one way to be saved. John 14, 6, and I'm going to paraphrase it for you. Move toward God. Move, 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 move. Why set we here until we die? Move, 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 move. Seek, seek, ask, come. Why set we here until we die. And then those guys moved. Amen? They moved. And I can see them as these four miserable guys. You, you ever looked at what leprosy is like? Parts of your body just rot off. Nose, feet, you know. And it comes like that. Nose, fingers, toes, feet, hands, arms, legs. And somewhere in that process you die. Your body just rots away. Maybe one of the most hideous illnesses in the world, maybe. If it's not, it's right up there. Amen? 
And one of them says to the other, be of good courage. The next step, the next step may be our last. That's what they said. The next step, the century will challenge us and the sword will pierce us to the heart. The next step will mean death, but be of good courage. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And there's no sentry that challenges them in 2 Kings 7, 5. And there's no death stroke that falls. And they come into the first part of the camp and the second part, and there's abundance and abundance and abundance. And nobody to say no, exactly as it is with the Lord God. Nobody to say no. Amen? He that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. John chapter 6, verse 37. There's no fear of death, no fear of darkness, no fear of the grave. And in coming... There the abundance, the overflowing of the mercies of God. That's Psalm 103, verse 8. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies. Psalm 23, verses 4 and 5. 100,000 men have fled. That's a pretty good crowd. Amen? And these guys, they took on the gold. They took silver. They took clothes. They took food. The vast wealth of all that had pertained to that vast army, all of it was theirs, four lepers. They were the only ones there, right? So initially, it's all theirs. They said one to another, this is not well. This is not well. Come, this is the day of good tidings. Let us tell the king. And look what happened. No longer starving. No longer shut up. Why? God has opened the windows of heaven. And they say, look, look, come. And they go to the gate and they call the porter. Call the porter, the gatekeeper. And he comes to the gate and peers down and he sees these four miserable wretches and they say, open the gates and tell the king's household and all of the starving Samaritans of Samaria, tell them to come out. God has provided a banquet like we have never seen before and gold and silver and all things rich. Come. And the porter looks down. Can you imagine what he said to him, to these guys? Aren't you those same four guys? Aren't you the same four lepers? Why, I thought you would have been dead days ago. I'm paraphrasing. I haven't passed any garbage to you in over a week. Are you the same? Their answer, we are the same. Come and see. I don't know a final illustration of what it is to be a preacher and what it is to be a witness and what it is to be a Christian than just that thing. We're not men who are theorizing or women who are theorizing. We are not philosophizing. We are saying to sinners, there is a way that a man can be saved. And we're saying to those who are dying, there is a way for those who can live. And we're saying to those who face eternity, come, there's a great triumphant hallelujah. God has set before us who will trust in him. That's what it is. We're witnesses. We're proclaimers. We're announcing the great and good news. These lepers said, come, come, come. There is bread enough and to spare. God hath opened the windows of heaven. And when the king and his people arose and came to the camp, behold, it was even as those four leprous people from the tiny church, <laughs> the little congregation, it was just like they said it was. There was the blessing and the fullness of God in 2 Kings chapter 7, 
verses 15 and 16. We have been trying to meet with people in the city that are involved in ministries in their churches, you know, that are different from ours. How many of you know we're not the only one? We're not the only one, amen? And all of a sudden, we had this hunger rise up on the inside of us that had to do with how can we get involved, you know? And so I've said this before, and I've got to be careful with the words in my mouth. You people hear me say something, boom. Okay, when? Have you set a date? <laughs> okay, have you set a date yet, you know? And, and, and no, we have not set dates for everything, but I can tell you a little bit about how it's unfolding. There's a ministry involving wealthy people that would ship to us from Florida all of the evangelistic materials we need to give to everyone in the city of Anchorage if that's what we tell them we want them to do. But guess what? We're not the only ones, so we don't have to do it alone, right? I'm still talking to them about when they want to ship us evangelistic tools that are in print, in DVD form, and all that. And they said, look, we'll even send you these little packets. You can put everything in it, and you can put your little card from your church, information, you know, what you want, hanging on the doorknob or knock on the door and give it to them, whatever. It, it, we'll do it by zip code in your city, and we send you enough for you to evangelize the entire city. You get the message to the entire city. Now, of course, not everybody's going to, I mean, some people will take that off their doorknob, and guess will it, where will it go? Say only one out of a thousand gets a hold of it. One out of a thousand. Would we say no if all we got was one out of a thousand? Absolutely not. We'll hang them things on doorknobs all day long, right? He said about one in a thousand, you know. He said, what if it's one in a hundred, one in five hundred, one in a thousand, one in ten thousand? If it's one in ten thousand, is it worth it? Yes, it's worth it. So there's an evangelistic outreach tool. Um, Mandy. Mandy. What's Mandy's last name? What do you mean you don't know? You work with her. <laughs> One gal, she'd done this ministry before, but she got wore out. She was doing it by herself, kind of, sort of, and her friend got sick. And then so for a while, she had to take a break. And, and you know what? When we look at things like that, we go, oh, there, they got their hands on the plow now. They're not on the plow. Now they want to come back to the plow. None of that matters in this case. Mandy needs help. She's feeding hungry people. She, she cooks it's in the church kitchen now, right? In their church. We're getting the name. I'm going to meet with the pastor. Why? Because I don't want to just say, Mandy, we're, we're LifeSpring Bible Church, and we're here to save the day. <laughs> no, I want to meet with the pastor. I want, to, I want to bond with him. I want to build a relationship with him, right? And LifeSpring Bible Church and their church can partner up in prayer, and maybe some money. Can you say Amen. I mean, if a ministry is worth supporting with prayer, isn't it worth supporting with some finances? You know, I've already mentioned to Brother Mike, and I've already mentioned to Brother Eve, we need to do something about a missions budget for this church. Amen? It's about the, the, about the only other thing missing is the missions, but missions budget, right? So we've got evangelism where we can take the message to the entire city. And I wondered and wondered and wondered, why, Father, did you have me build a relationship with Samaritan's Purse? I, you know... What do I got to do with a big ministry like Samaritan's Purse? Franklin Graham, right? I get a phone call in Nome, Alaska. There's this big missions team out at the airport. They're weathered in. They can't get to Russia. 
and they're going to be here, looks like, for several days. I go, bing. I grab the church van. I drive over there. Hi, I'm Pastor Carl Dennis. Another church that's like this one, Life Spring Bible Church, that church was River of Life, involved water, <laughs> right? Okay, so I tell them, look, it's the Agajanian brothers. I don't know if you ever heard of the Agajanian brothers. Franklin was not there. But I get the Agajanian brothers and their missions team together. I pile them in my van. I take them home. I house them. I feed them. But we have church that night. The next day, the weather's bad again, so we have church that night. The next day, the weather's bad, so we have church that night, right? So I don't know how long we went. We had church every night. It was great. And we didn't have, we didn't have an advertising budget. We, didn't have, we couldn't put it on TV. We didn't have time to do mail outs. And people came every night. It was great, right? Um, so they come back again in a couple months, and they got stranded again. So what did we do? We jumped in the van. We went over and got them. We brought them home with us. Now, later I get this phone call, and it's from Samaritan's Purse, and Franklin Graham wants to know, you've been a blessing to my missions team stuck in Nome twice. What can we do for you? I said, well, brother, you know, I know you used to be here. You used to be in Nome. He said, yes, I was, and he laughed a little bit. It was during Franklin Graham's days of rebellion against God and his father. And he helped build HUD homes in Nome and smoked a lot of dope with all of his buddies in Nome. That's what they knew of Franklin Graham in Nome was that Franklin Graham. I said, Franklin, don't you think it's time you come back to Nome and let the people see you now? He said, yes. Now, uh, we made all the plans, and then um, a week before the meeting was going to take place, it fell through because the ministry came under attack in Kosovo and literally employees of that ministry lost their lives. So I did not expect Franklin Graham to come to Nome then. And then shortly after that, God moved us out. Why do I mention it to you? I was talking to a friend of mine the other day that's very close friends with Franklin. I said, look, I know you go on missions trips. I want to make missions trips available to the people of our church so we can go to people and give the message to come to Christ. Come, come see. Come see what God is doing, right? So, we're going to feed hungry people. There's a ministry in this church that reaches out in prison ministry. Jesus said, I was in prison, you never visited me. I was hungry, you never fed me. I was sick and you never ministered to my needs, right? Remember, I think it's really kind of strange that Jesus would say when they rebuked that woman for breaking open that very expensive anointing oil and she washed his feet and she poured it on his feet and she dried his feet with her hair and, they, and people were looking at her like, you know, there's always people in the church that know more than everybody else. You understand what I'm saying? Hey, what's she doing? Doesn't she know we could have sold that and fed the poor with it? How noble that sounds, right? It was false humility. False humility is a problem in the church today. It's a problem, right? Jesus made an interesting statement. Leave her alone. She's done this for my burial. And the poor, that gauge that you read, how we respond to the poor, that little gauge you read, well, you'll have them always. We're going to have them right until time Jesus comes back. Amen? That gauge is always going to be there. How we respond to it is one of the gauges we look at to check on our relationship with Christ. You know what? Even if you were four leprous people, 
we'd move forward. And we would invite people to come. Amen? That's what Life Spring Bible Church is all about. But when I say that, listen to me. I'm not saying we're the only ones because we're not. But we are part of a great church. Amen? Do you know God loves you? I started to say I love you again. Ruthie loves you. You know, our love for you looks like hatred compared to his love for you. Amen? God loves you. <clears throat> there are some of the things that we say may make you feel very uncomfortable. I don't feel bad about that. I feel sorry for you if you feel uncomfortable with what I'm telling you. But you're attending a church that's going to tell you what the Word of God says and tell you that we're going to be held accountable. That's not comfortable, is it? But we're going to be held accountable. Amen? So I'm just going to keep throwing opportunities at you. You don't have to be in all of them. You don't have to do them all. But I, I would say to you that if you want to look at that gauge and see if you're spiritually healthy, you better find one. You better find one, and you better do it. Why? It's for your own good. It's Bible. Amen? Now, do you think we're going to be able to do all of this on our own? No. We need God's help. Amen? Now, this is one of those kinds of messages that I, I throw out there, and it's got to whittle on you. You've got to let it marinate. You've got to let it, you know, you've got to let God work it into you. Amen? And you've got to be praying because let, let, this, is, this is the last thing, and I'm going to pray for us, okay? And God's going to help us, and we're going to ask for God to watch over us and take the word with us and, and let it work on us and get us ready. Come the fall. If Jesus doesn't come back first, how many of you know if he comes back first, that's okay? We're not going to go, shucky darn, he came and got me, <laughs> right? No, listen to me. I, I said this, it bears repeating. We've got we've to lay this groundwork. Come the fall, I found out that one of the ministers that I'd love to listen to, if you think your preachers aren't listening to other preachers, you're mistaken. If we don't have mentors, if we don't have people we're feeding off of too, what you're going to get is dead stuff anyway, right? Well, God began to deal with me about the life of Christ. I've told you that before, and I'm writing. I'm writing what he's saying, but I think to myself, what if one of my mentors has already got this, and I found David Platt. Two years ago, God got this message through to him. He wrote some books, and he, wrote, and he got some DVDs, and he got some lessons and some things together, and there's six parts. And in the fall, as a church, we're going to start listening to them, and it's called Radical. It's called Radical. And we're going to look at it together. We're going to find out what the Word of God specifically says about Jesus, and then you're going to know why all summer long I talked and talked and talked about the work that we need to be involved in. And guess what? It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We're going to be all right. You're not going to get bony fingers from working your fingers to the bone. But we're going to obey the word of God together. Amen? Now, look, I love you enough to tell you this. Jesus loved people enough to tell them the truth. If you don't want to do these things, you can sit in the pew like a knot on a log, or you can go down the street where the pastor's kids are dying and going to hell. You hear what I'm saying? Where no one in the church is listening to God, no one's obeying the word, you know? Um, and I don't, I don't mean to sound, you know, as harsh as that sounded, but it's still the truth. Amen? 
it's just still the truth. There are plenty of churches you can go and get lost in the crowd. That's what you want to do, right? But here we're going to feed on the word of God, and we're going to pray, and we're going to move. Amen?